Good morning. Good morning. Who is ready to be in the book of Romans this morning? Woo-hoo! All right, because that's where we're going. We're going to, uh, in the deep end for the next 20,000 years. All right, so no, this is like the book of Romans is deep. It's 16 chapters, and we're actually going to do it longer than that. Um, we've got a lot to cover in this book. We're going to go through all the way through August, but it's going to be three separate series as we go through it, okay? So just preparing you for that um, as we dig in to that. Uh, I just have a quick question. Who in here wants revival? That's good to hear, right? Who wants revival in your own heart, right? Your own spirit, because that's actually where it starts. It, It starts with you. It starts with your walk with God. It starts with your personal relationship. It starts with your time with God, with His Word, with Jesus, with the Holy Spirit. And, um, and I've, I've been studying this a lot. There's been a lot happening around our country um, with, with everything that's going on, with just different things. That, that This topic is kind of a hot topic in Christendom, okay? That we're talking about revival. And so I wanted to talk about it this morning as we kick off this series in the book of Romans. Um, but because I, I, I want it too. Like, I, I want, and I don't know if you're coming this morning and you're feeling this way. I, there's some of you in this room, like, you're coming, you don't really know God yet. Like, you're here, you're curious, or somebody invited you, and, or you're watching online. I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you're watching this. I, I know some realities about your life. And that reality is probably that, um, that you're looking for something, you just don't know what it is, and you always have been. That, that there's something you're trying, to, you're trying to fill a hole in your life with. And, um, and, and I need you to know that gap will always be there. That hole will always be there until you find who God is. Um, and, and he enters into your life in a radical way and changes everything about you. Today we celebrated a baptism with Carl. And Carl has experienced that. Something radical changed in his heart and his life. And, uh, and he's changing, and he's growing, and it's awesome to see the men's forge group over here <laughs> lining up to support him, because he's a part of a circle. He's a part of a group of guys that are for him and encouraging him, and I need you to know, if you want revival, it starts with your own heart. It starts with your own life and your own openness to what God would want to do in you, and I'm telling you, I'm hungry. I'm hungry for God, and I'm also exhausted. Have you been there before? Exhausted and hungry at the same time. It's like, God, would you do something? It's not can you. The answer is can you is always yes, he can. The, the request in my heart is would you? Would you do that in us? Would, would you do that in my own heart? Would you do that in our lives here at New Hope? And, and, um, and could we see something happen that's greater than just something good? Could the only explanation be God? That's what happens when revival happens. The only explanation is God. And um, I've been studying this. There's this a lot of like things that have converged at the same time, uh, which is just God doesn't do this stuff by accident. I don't know if anybody's watching The Chosen, the series called The Chosen, um, which is a powerful series that just represents the storytelling in an awesome cinematic way of Jesus and his disciples. And, um, and it's really, if you haven't watched it, I would encourage you to just, just watch it. Um, start in season one and work your way there. Season three right now, um, but there's something potent happening there with this series that people are watching it, saying, mm, "That's not who I thought Jesus was." Interesting. There's a movement called He Gets Us. I don't know if you've ever seen billboards. If you watched the Super Bowl and saw this thing that said He Gets Us, and that's going across the whole country. There's very wealthy men who are investing a lot of money because they want to see the gospel spread and a movement spread. And it's a message that I will get behind 100% because they're not talking about religion. They're talking about Jesus. 
And that's what it's all about. It's not about religion. It's all about Jesus. I'll take Jesus without any of the religion. And then we're seeing things like this movie, The Jesus Revolution. If you haven't seen it yet, I would encourage you to go watch it um, because it shows the story of what happened in the early 70s with a revolution from the hippies saying the drugs aren't working, sex isn't working, nothing's working, and they find Jesus. And Jesus is working. <laughs> and all of a sudden, this revolution came across our country, probably the last large kind of movement of people following Christ that happened in that day and age. And I've, I've wondered when it will happen again. It's usually about every 30 to 40 years we see something like that happen. Just historically, if you just look at the map of history, that's kind of the, the pattern we're kind of due in our country. But the question is, are we desperate enough? Are you desperate enough? If you're not desperate enough, you're not going to search for him. You're going to still fill yourself with the things you think work until they no longer do, and you're desperate enough to say, God, you know what? I've tried it all, and you're it. That's when revival starts to happen. It's when worship becomes less about us. Because so often in our country, worship is about, oh, I like that song. It made me feel the goose pimples. Ooh, I liked it when they did that chorus, and oh, the lights went on. Wah! Jesus! And the problem is so often we're wrapped up in our own experience and not just worshiping the God of the universe. That's when revival happens. We stop looking at us. And we start looking at God. Did you come to hear a sermon? Thank you. One over here. Um, and I'm related to her. So um, it's been interesting to see also just college revivals. There's been happening, something happened on college campuses that's been pretty powerful. And some of you have read stories maybe about the Asbury college uh, revival that seemed to just bust out of nowhere and for weeks and weeks people just kept showing up and probably tens, twenty thousand something people showed up on this little Kentucky town to experience God's presence in a very unique and powerful way. It's like, what is going on there? What, what's the story behind the story? You will always have religious critics. You also have trolls. And internet trolls, just so you know who they are, they have no life. They're there to put down everybody else. That's what an internet troll is. And there's a lot of religious internet trolls. They're just looking for a way to say, that's wrong, that wasn't God, that wasn't this. Well, they didn't use the KJV, so it couldn't be of God. I'm like, baloney. It doesn't have to do with those things. It has to do with Jesus and the Holy Spirit. And so there's a movement happening on college campuses. And I need you to know, none of those things were ha- are happening by accident. So during my research, I see the foundation of any revival happens with prayer. And it's when people get on their knees and ask God, would you? Would you? Would you? Since 2019, there's been this unified front across college campuses across our country between Campus Crusade, which is now called Crew, Fellowship of Christian Athletes, the Assemblies of God Campus Ministries, all sorts of campus ministries that came together in 2019 to say, we can't do it on our own. Let's do this together. And they create a unified thing. I think it's called One Campus or One College. Movement of discipleship and prayer. Since 2019, they've been doing this. Nobody's talking about it, but I believe it is the root of revival on these college campuses because now they're seeing young people come to Christ in a percentage and a number that they've never seen before. This is happening. Amen. It's happening. I'm just wondering, would it happen with old people too? Or are we not desperate enough? Ooh, boy, here we go. It's interesting when you look through history, you look through history, every revival and awakening, every major one that's happened, um, it's interesting where it started. You go back to um, a, a pretty big one, Martin Luther. 
started the Reformation. He was a part of the Catholic Church, but realized a lot of the things they were doing weren't in Scripture, and it was all about the do. It was about religion. It was about being good enough and paying penance and saying the right prayers to get you to heaven. And he, he started reading the book of Romans, and it changed him. Because now he's seeing, no, Paul is talking about something completely different. And the book of Romans started this whole thing called the Reformation, where he nailed his thesis up to the door of the church and said, this is where you're wrong, <laughs> and this is where I'm rebelling. This is where the church, the, the Protestant church was created, the church that said, you know what, we're going to be about the gospel, and we're going to be about the God's word for everyone and every language for everyone. This is where that started. That's why we can meet today and have our Bibles in English, because one man read the book of Romans and said it's not going to be this way. Later on, a man by the name of John Wesley, if you ever heard that name before, showed up, started reading Romans, <laughs> and, and went after what Martin Luther started, and the same thing, a revival broke out from John Wesley. You look further down the road, William Tyndale, if you've heard that name before, the same story, and it all started in the book of Romans. And it's interesting when I see this, on the campus of Asbury, the, the message that the guy was teaching on, and he thought he did a stanker, is what he said. Like, he thought it was, like, not a good message, and he left the campus, and he's like, whatever that was, was Romans chapter 12. So we're in the book of Romans, and I'm praying, God, would you? Would you revive our hearts because there is something greater than the crap we sit in every day. There's something deeper than the shallowness we tip our toes in of God. There's something greater that he may want to change and grow, renew, to break out of your own heart and your own life. And I don't know what that is for you, but would you join me in a prayer that might say, would you? Would you, God? We are starting today a journey through Romans and we're calling it the road to Easter. And Romans 1 through 4 are the perfect road to Easter. Um, and, uh, you know, Easter's a pretty big deal for Christians, if you, if you don't know that. Like, celebrating Easter, it's not just a holiday. It's not like, yay, I get candy and, like, chocolate and the bunny comes. And, like, like for us, when we celebrate Easter, it is the fact that our Savior didn't die and stay dead. He rose again and conquered death, that we could live in life forever. Amen? Amen? So we get to Easter, but we can't get to Easter without knowing why Easter needed to happen. Why was there a Friday? Why was there a cross? Why was there darkness that covered the world the moment he said it was finished and his last breath was taken and the, the curtain was torn in the temple? Why did that have to happen? Why did Jesus have to stay in the tomb for three days, but then still to conquer it on Sunday morning? Why Easter? Well, that's what we're talking about in Romans 1 through 4, and chapter 5 will be on Easter Sunday. It's going to be, woo! It's going to be good. I would say mark your calendars. If you look in your worship program this Easter Sunday, we're doing three gatherings here. We're doing 8 o'clock, 9.30, and 11 a.m. It's what we did last year, and uh, that way we can make room for as many people as we possibly can to join us. Just so the, those of you that know that have kids, the 8 o'clock will not have kids' ministry, okay? So kids' ministry will be only at the 9, 30, and 11. 8 o'clock, if you have kids, they'll be in here with you at 8 o'clock. Um, that's to help our workers because we, we want to give them some grace on Easter here. <laughs> so um, so I, I mark your calendars, and I would say invite the people that need resurrected in their own heart and life, okay? Invite people that you know need hope, that need, that need Jesus but no religion who maybe thought they had religion at one point, but religion 
offended them, and so they left. They need to understand it's not about religion. It is about Jesus. And, uh, and that's what we're celebrating in this series. Uh, every single series we go through, um, we, we provide this. We provide a reading plan for you guys to dig into the Word of God. And, and we want you to do that because revival doesn't happen if you don't get it in yourself. And so we would say revive your own heart every day. Spend time with God, prayer, in His Word, talking to Him, asking Him, would you questions? Would you, God? I would first start with thank you, gods, before you go to would you, gods. Because usually a thankful heart is a great predecessor to a would you God moment, okay? So let's start with thank you gods and the move to would you gods. But, but in that, you're going to see that you get to read leading up to every Sunday. There's copies in the back of the auditorium on the table in the middle. You always use the app. You can go to mindhoop.tv forward slash Romans. Um, all, it's on our website. It's on the app. It's on printed copies. So grab one. Read along each day. Just find 10, 10 minutes in your day and at least 10 minutes and just spend that time with God. And, and there's a map on how to do that on that a reading plan as well as we go through that. So I'd encourage you to do that. And we're still doing memory verses. So those of you who love memory verses, we, we want you to actually do them. We, we actually want you to read it every single day because when you hide it in your heart, it's available to your hands, right? When you hide it in your heart, you can bring it back when you need it. And, uh, and in this series, these passages are probably the most potent gospel passages there are that we're talking about. And here's the first one that we're going to uh, kick off with. is Romans 3, 23 and 24. I like adding 24. A lot of times people just read 23, but there's an answer to it, which is 24, okay? Um, so uh, I want us this morning, let's just all read this out loud together, and then we're going to read our passage together. Um, so let's read this if you are ready. Everybody ready? ready? All right, here we go. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Jesus, or by Christ Jesus. Sorry, I messed it up. By Christ Jesus. That's where our redemption has come. Yeah, we're sinners, but we've been, we can be saved, okay? Welcome to the book of Romans. That's what we're digging into. So if you have a copy of your scriptures, I would say open up your Bibles, get your Bible apps, and we're going to stand together and read Romans chapter 1. And we are starting in Romans chapter 1, only the verse 17 verses. Next week we'll start at 18 and work through all of chapter 2. Um, but that's where we're hanging out this morning. So we stand here at New Hope just so that you know if you're new around here to honor the Word of God. When you stand, you honor, right? If somebody important entered into a room and you stood for them, that's showing honor to that person. We do the same thing with God's Word. We stand to honor God's Word. And so I'm going to read it. You can um, read along to yourself there as I read it in the NIV. And this is the passage today. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, of, of, Christ, of Christ, Jesus called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God. The gospel he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures regarding his son, who as to his earthly life was a descendant of David, and who through the spirit of holiness was appointed to the Son of God in power by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. Through him we received grace and apostleship to call all the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith for his name's sake. And you also are among those Gentiles who were called to belong to Jesus Christ to all in Rome who are loved by God and called to be his holy people, grace and peace to you from our God, or from God our Father, and from the Lord Jesus Christ. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, because your faith is being reported all over the world. God, whom I serve in my spirit in preaching the gospel of his Son, is my witness in how, 
uh, is my witness how constantly I remember you in my prayers at all times. And I pray that now by, uh, sorry, I pray that now at least by God's will that the way uh, may be open for me to come to you. I long to see you so that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to make you strong. That is, that you and I may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, that I planned many times to come to you, but have been prevented from doing so until now, in order that I might have a harvest among you, just as I have had among the other Gentiles. I'm obligated both Greeks and non-Greeks, both the wise and the foolish. That is why I'm eager to preach the gospel also to you who are in Rome, for I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from the first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. God, thank you for your word. It is good, it is true, it is right, and it is for us today. Holy Spirit, would you speak through your word today, and would you help me have your words and not my own? Would you lead each of us personally to what you want us to hear? And God, would you revive us? Would you revive our hearts to the power of the gospel that Paul is talking about here in Romans 1? Would you renew our spirits? Call us to you, God. So just lead us this morning in your word. In Christ's name we pray. Everybody said amen. Amen. Awesome. You guys can have a seat. So Romans is rich. <laughs> um, I've been on staff here at New Hope for going on 17 years. And I said to myself, I don't know if I'll ever preach the book of Romans because I've been so intimidated by it. Inside of Romans, is, it contains almost every single important doctrine of the faith in the book of Romans. And, um, and, and we're going to unpack all of it. <laughs> we're going we're gonna to really dig deep into this. And so I'm, I'm, I'm asking you, would you pray for me and the grace to be able to preach God's word and to, uh, and to give it in a way that we can all understand because that's what I try to do, make God's word make sense. And so we see in this first part of chapter one, it's the intro, and that's this morning's sermon. It's just the intro to the series. It's the intro to the message. It's the intro to the book of Romans. Um, Rome is a pretty neat place. Um, I don't know if any, any of you have been able to travel to Rome before. Uh, our family this last summer, we did get that chance to, to go to Rome. And, and unfortunately, our plan was to be in Rome for about four days. And it ended up being one day in Rome and three days in Washington, D.C. because we missed our flight. <laughs> and so, um, so we got to see D.C. a little bit. And then we got to Rome, jet lagged, ready to experience all that we could in one day. All right. So I'm praying to be able to go back to Rome again someday. Um, but Rome is a it's, it's a crazy ancient city, right? Like, you go to the oldest place in the United States, and you're like, it's not that old, right? <laughs> like, the, our houses are not that old. Our buildings are not that old. And we got to see buildings like, like this. So this was, you know what that is, right? That's the Colosseum, right? And so the first time we got there, we were, you know, actually late because we slept and took a nap, and then we're like, oh, crap, we got to get there. So we had to run to get to the Colosseum on like a 117-degree day. I don't know. It felt like that. It was just a hot day. And we finally get to our tour, and we took a tour of the Colosseum. It's pretty spectacular. It is pretty amazing. That's, you know, that's, that's 
2,000-year-old building, and it's still standing, and, um, and we walked through it and, and got to see pictures. Here's some other pictures of us inside. Um, so that's inside the Colosseum, and uh, you can see behind us a little bit. Like, it, the construction is great. They had a raised floor, and then they had a basement underneath where all of a sudden the different shows and the different, you know, murder they would do, that fun stuff, that they would come up from underneath, and all of a sudden a lion would show up, and then they would be fighting a lion, and then all of a sudden, boom, they'd all go back underneath, and then the two gladiators would pop up. And, like, it's crazy, the engineering into this crazy, crazy structure in the Colosseum. But just to be in a place that's, like, thousands of years old, right, is, it was pretty amazing. Um, here's a, another picture. What else we got? And it's pretty interesting, right when you walk into the main entrance, that's what's right there in front of your face. You walk in, all of a sudden there's this giant cross, and it was so interesting watching people, because people were just looking right past the cross. They're like going, they walk in, and they just look at the whole Colosseum, and they're kind of like, oh, cross. And like for me, I was sitting there going, do you not understand what that is? This was Rome's torture. This was their death penalty. And it was a gruesome one. And for us who are Christians, it became the sign of hope and forgiveness. It went from gruesome to gracious, right? And, um, and so I had to take a picture of the cross leading up to that. There's uh, one more thing outside of the Colosseum is this. Well, like there were these old ancient arches. Actually, this was um, in the Roman Forum area. And so this would have been there actually when, when Paul was in Rome. The Colosseum wasn't built yet. He died right before they started building the Colosseum. Um, and, but it's interesting to be in a place where, you know, Paul was. That's where he spent his last days in Rome. He walked these roads, these paths. There's this place called the Appian Way. It's just like this path. It's like so crazy how old it is, and we didn't get to go on that. I, I want to go back someday and walk on that. Um, but it's interesting to see the history and be in a place where he's writing to. He's writing to the people in this city, in Rome, the Christ followers who were there, who were meeting, who were worshiping. And the thing is, he wasn't the one that started Christianity in Rome. So I imagine Paul, he's been on all these other places. He's been all through these missionary journeys, and he's, he, he just longs to, to see this place as he's writing this letter to these people in Rome. So at this point in history, when he's writing this, um, it's around 50, 60 A.D., and, and uh, Rome itself was between one to four million people at that point. That's crazy. It's a big place, right? There's a lot of people. There's a lot of commerce. It is the center of the world at this point in history. Rome is, right? Everything flows out of Rome. Rome controls all the regions all the way around. It was the center of the world at that point in history was Rome. Nero was the emperor starting in 54 AD. And we know that inside of Rome, there were at least 12 Jewish synagogues. So there were Jews who were already landed and planted in Rome, worshiping God, living out the religion um, in this point of history. And so we see Paul now writing to this place and writing to this, this area. Now, so what happened? How did, how did Christianity get to Rome then, right? If Paul didn't take it there, the disciples didn't go to Rome. Like, how did Rome find Jesus? They move him from Judaism, Judaism to Christianity. It takes us back to Acts chapter 2. Right in Acts chapter 2, Jesus had already ascended to heaven. He promised the Holy Spirit will come. Go and wait, is what he told the disciples. Go wait. And they were in the upper room on the day of Pentecost. 
And on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit shows up. It says as if the image of fiery tongues come down, rest upon them, and they start preaching the gospel. They start preaching about Jesus, and they go out into the streets, and all these nations and all these people from all around the world were there in Jerusalem because they came to worship over Passover. So people in these Jews from Rome had already been in the center of religion, which was Jerusalem in this point of history. And so I could imagine that there were Roman Jews hearing the gospel as Peter then goes out and preaches, this is what Christ has done and this is what you've done to him. Like he just pulls no punches in that message. Go read Acts 2 and 3 and see what the beginning of the church looked like. Acts 1, 2, and 3. Because in this scene, he's preaching this and then it says 3,000 people were baptized that day. 3,000 of these Jews responded to the gospel repented and came to God. And then it was thousands and thousands still keep and continue to go. And imagine some of those were Roman Jews who went back to Rome and said, we found something. (laughs) We've experienced something. And then they brought the gospel to Rome and then the church started to grow and be birthed. And so that's what must have happened in this point of history as now there is a collection of, of Christ followers in Rome who are doing good things. Like, he's commending them. Paul's like, your faith, I see it. I've heard about it. I've read, like, I want to be there. I want to come to you. Like, he longed to be with them. He had this deep desire to be with them. This is what it says in verse 13. Um, Paul and Rome, I'm skipping on my slides. So this is what he says. I, I do not want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, that I planned many times to come to you. He's like, I'm trying to get there. I'm working hard. I've got all these missionary journeys. I'm going over and I'm preaching to the Jews and then I'm taking it to the Gentiles and I'm preaching the gospel and the, a harvest is happening and the church is growing. He said, I've longed so much to be with you, but have been prevented from doing so until now. So we see, actually, in the book of Acts, let's keep reading, in order that I might have a harvest among you, just as I have had among the other Gentiles. He wants to get there so he can preach the gospel. He wants to have a harvest amongst what's happening in the city of Rome. Um, And I imagine, like, any citizen at this point of history is very curious to go to Rome. Because Rome is ruling and leading. It's kind of the center where everything's coming out to So Paul's like, can I go there? I want to go there because I know when I start preaching the gospel there, the gospel will continue to go out everywhere. He longs to go to Rome. And so he he has to, though, first finish his other missionary journeys to plant churches before he can get there. You're going to see a lot through the book of Romans this phrase, first to the Jew, then to the Greek or the Gentile. First to the Jew, then to the Gentile. Like, what does that mean? Is that an order of importance? Like, why is he saying this? The Jews are more important than Gentiles? So there's a promise given to the Jews that's very specific from God through the whole Old Testament. I'm not going to go deep into this. But whenever Paul entered into a new city to preach the gospel, he wanted to go to the Jews first because the Jews were the ones that received the promise first. He wanted to go to them to say, hey, I'm coming with you with the gospel. You all know the stories of the Messiah. You all know the Old Testament and the prophecies. You all know, and this is Jesus. So he, he went to the Jews first to say, you all already know, your Savior has already come. He's here. And some repented, some came to Jesus, some didn't. And that's what happened. And when he was done, he said, now I'm going to the Gentiles. Because you all should have already known this, but now I'm preaching it to you. The Gentiles don't even know it at all. So now I'm going to the Gentiles. So when you see this phrase, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile, that's what he did. He went to the Jews first and said, you should have already known the Messiah. He already came. 
you are the recipients of the promise of the Messiah. And then I'm taking it to the people who are also the recipients of the promise, but they didn't know it. They get to experience it and the freedom. So you'll see that phrase a lot through the book of Romans as we get into into it. And so we actually know that Paul ended up going there. Like he got to Rome. Um, We studied over the summer the book of Acts. You guys remember that? And in the book of Acts, chapters 24 through 28 is the story of Paul finally getting there. Um, and it was not an easy route for him to get to Rome. Actually, is a 2,000-mile journey. I have a map of what this journey was. So over there in Caesarea, kind of down near Jerusalem, that, you know, over there in the Middle East. And so he had to hop on a ship, go all the way, 2,000 miles, walking up through, getting, getting through Italy, um, all the way up to Rome. And for him, it, it took a long time. It was not supposed to be years, but it took a long time because he had to go in front of one judge, and the judge said, well, we don't know what to do with you, and then they put him to another judge, and the other judge said, well, I don't know what to do with you, until finally he said, I'm making an appeal as a Roman citizen to take this to the highest. Send me to Rome. And so it's interesting, he wanted to go to Rome, and you know who paid for his trip? Rome. (laughs) He didn't have to pay a dime for his trip because he was under arrest to go on this journey, so he was... Excuse me. <clears throat> so he was under, um, yeah, he was under arrest, and they paid the way for him to get to Rome, and it, he had to go through a lot of heck to get there. So if you want to read Acts 24 through 28, uh, you can read that again, um, but it was quite the journey to get there. So he actually got there, and that's where he ended. That, that's, that's where he wrote a lot of letters. The letters that we read were written while he was in prison in Rome um, until finally um, they believe he was beheaded in Rome. Um, we, we don't know exactly. There's some historical records that make a statement about somebody that we believe is Paul, that he was beheaded. He didn't get crucified because he was a Roman citizen. Roman citizens didn't get crucified, but, but Peter, they believe, was crucified upside down. Interesting stuff as we think about what they went through to share the gospel, to be the first ones to present the gospel and they were, became martyrs for the gospel. And so here we are in the book of Romans, and he longed to get to them. He saw some things in them, and he wanted, he wanted to be a part of the fruit of the work of the gospel in Rome. Now, this morning's message is short, just so you know. I'm, I'm more than halfway over. So let's, let's read a couple more verses. So 1 through 12 and 14 through 15. So what is the purpose of the book of Romans then? Like, what is his goal in writing this letter to Rome? And he shares it in these passages. He says, I long to see you so that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to make you strong. That is, that you and I may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. Then in verse 14 and 15, he says, I am obligated both to the Greeks and non-Greeks. And so you see these words, Greeks and non-Greeks. It's the same as Jew and Gentile, okay? But they would have spoken the language of Jew and Greek would have been what they would have said. So he's obligated to both, um, both to the wise and to the foolish. That is why I'm so eager to preach the gospel also to you who are in Rome. And so here we see three reasons for the letter. If you want to fill in the blank, you've been waiting patiently. Does Tim have any fill-in-the-blanks? I do have a few this morning as we introduce this, and they're all on one screen, all right? So here's the reasons for this letter that he's proclaiming in the very beginning of this. First one is to strengthen their faith. He wants to, he wants to be a part of the strengthening of their faith. 
I, I long to be with you uh, to impart to you some spiritual gift to make you strong and to be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. Like, he wants to strengthen his faith and their faith together. It's like, so I'm writing you this letter so that you'll be strong in the faith and I'll be strong in the faith. He says that I, that you and I may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. So, so he wants to encourage them and be encouraged by them is another reason he's writing this letter. He wants encouragement and he wants to encourage them. Keep pressing on. They didn't know exactly what was going to happen in Rome, that later on it was going to become the hub of persecution, that horrible things were going to be happening to Christians in that city. At this point, they're flourishing. Everything's okay. There's peace, and Christianity's being able to be spread. And the last thing he says, the last purpose of my letter, and for me wanting to be there, is to share the gospel. I want to have fruit of the gospel. I want to present what Christ has done the fact that Messiah has come, he's shown up, and that we can be encouraged, we can be strong in faith, and I want to see a fruit from the gospel work in Rome. And that's what he does everywhere he goes. That's Paul. He shares the gospel. He starts churches. He plants churches. And just so you know, he doesn't plant perfect churches. That's why he has to write the letters. <laughs> Every town he went to, you'd think if Paul was the perfect church planter, those churches would be like, oh, and they'd be all like, harmonious and loving and be this perfect work of the Holy Spirit and be all, but they weren't. They were full of messy sinners trying to figure out Jesus. It's the same today. Okay? There's no perfect church planner. There's no perfect church. And there's no perfect pastor. We all are in need of Jesus. We are all in the need of grace for each other and with each other. Um, just don't make me write a letter, right? Like, like, like you think of a Paul, like that's what you had to do. You read the, like 1 Corinthians, man, the Corinthians church was messed up. We'll, we'll go through First and Second Corinthians at some point here at New Hope because, man, they were just messed up. There's all sorts of crazy stuff happening in Corinth. Um, Ephesians and Ephesus, right? And you read about Timothy, First and Second Timothy. Like there's just crazy stuff happening in the church. And, um, and so Paul didn't plant the perfect churches, um, they're full of imperfect people, but the thing is, we're all trying to pursue Jesus. And so if you're here this morning, and you, maybe you're coming to church for the first time, or you're coming back to church again, and you're wondering about your past experiences. Maybe you're coming wounded. Actually, I know there's people in this room who are coming wounded spiritually and from religion. That, that uh, the reason you left church is because so-and-so and somebody and this and that and there was abuse or there was something that happened to you personally or that, and I'm sorry. That should have never happened. You should have never gone through that. It's unfortunate that those things happen and that there are sinners in the church and then there are sinners that lead churches. None of us are perfect. And if that's you, I just, I want to give you hope and grace. Number one, I hope that you find Jesus in the midst of your pain because that's where he's at. And, and he wants to walk you to the other side of it, to free you from it. Don't miss this. Jesus receives broken people and he loves them. He encourages them. He heals them. And if you need that today, would you just bring it to Jesus? Because I know there's people that show up here at New Hope and they look at a pastor 
and all of a sudden I'm wearing all of your wounds from the pastor that hurt you. Or somebody who's trying to speak truth into you, you attach that person and their problems on them. I'm not perfect. That person in your small group's not perfect. Your small group leader, just, you know, not perfect. But we're going to do our best to love you as much as we can and try to love you like Jesus. And when you receive it and you walk into it, that's where healing begins. If that's you this morning, I'm going to pray for you at the end of the gathering. Actually, I'm going to ask you to come down front after the gathering. I want to pray over you, if that's you this morning, because that's probably the area that Jesus needs to revive you and free you. That's not in my notes, so whoever needs that obviously needed it this morning. Let God speak to you, please. Let God speak to you. Because God has power. And we get to verse 16, and Paul talks about the power. He digs into it pretty deep, actually, right here. For I am not ashamed of the gospel. Why? Because it is the power of God. The gospel is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last. Just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. He starts with the power verse. This is a worthy one of memorizing too, by the way. I can't make you memorize 17 verses in the book of Romans, but like this one is a good one. He says, for I'm not ashamed of the what? Of the gospel. Why? Because it's the power of God. The gospel is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. There is no other path to salvation. There is no other power that will lead you to salvation except the gospel, the good news of what Christ has done for you and for me. That is the power of God revealing his righteousness. Can I explain power to you? Can we talk about power? Everybody say power. Power. All right. Power. Um, Oh, shoot. I was supposed to upload pictures, Sean, and I'm sorry. I didn't do that on this one. Um, a, f- a few years ago, our family went to an air show. Have you, have you ever been to an air show? They're really cool. Um, and it, it, it was pre-COVID, so it had been like 2019 or 18 or something. I don't remember what it was. We went to the Cleveland Air Show, and there was this one jet. I don't know what kind of jet it was. It was just cool. That's all that matters. The boy inside of me is like, that's cool, right? Like, and this jet, like, whenever this guy was flying this thing, I, I just sat there in awe. I, I was in awe of a couple of things. One, I, I was in awe of what the heck he could do in this jet, the crazy like acrobatics and like all sorts of crazy stuff. I, he flew it like this, like on the back jet, just, I'm like, how do you do that? And this guy's still alive, right? Like he, he's, he learned how to do it and he didn't die. And, um, and the thing that blew me away with this one jet was the power. You could feel the power. Have you ever been like somewhere like that where you feel the power coming out of a machine? Where it's like when that thing flew by and he turned on the afterburners and like blows by you and your ears blow and you feel it and it's like what in the world is going on? And then whenever he does that and then just immediately goes vertical like and he goes straight up and you hear this just flying through the sky and I'm like whoa! Whoa! Have you ever had one of those experiences? I did 
try my best. So, <laughs> so I did some research about jets like that. Those jet engines have about 100,000 horsepower. Okay, I, so my fun toy that I have is a little 1985 Mazda RX-7. It has 100 horsepower. And I love it. it that thing's fun. 100 horsepower, all right? Um, 1985. 100,000 horsepower? My brain can't fathom what that would feel like, sound like, what I would experience with 100,000 horsepower. And I thought that was amazing. In... Um, I think it, oh shoot, was it 2011? Was the last of the shuttle launches from Cape Canaveral. And, um, and the shuttle launches, you know, the giant orange tank in the middle and the two big jets on either side with the, you know, with the shuttle on the back of it. Like, uh, we were actually on vacation in Florida at New Smyrna Beach, which is just on the other side of Cape Canaveral. And I didn't even know what was happening until like the day before. I'm like, what? That's happening? This is the last launch. And so we took our family out to the beach. Lots of people were lined up on the beach to watch this. And it was cloudy. Couldn't see a thing. I'm like, dang it. I, can't. I wanted to see it. But the thing we could do is hear it and feel it. And it felt like one of those Jesus coming back moments because everybody's looking in the same direction and everybody's looking up into the clouds. <laughs> and it was, it was eerie because everybody was dead quiet. And then three two, one, and all of a sudden the whole earth shakes. I'm going to try. Right? I can't even do it. I can't even like there's a lot of bass. Everything, everything is shaking. You're feeling it in your chest and it's like miles away and all you see is a giant flame through the clouds taking off and I could not imagine being strapped to that thing, right? Astronauts are inside. Listen to this. I thought 1,000 horsepower was awesome. 37 million horsepower. Can you say power? Power. None of that even compares to the power of the gospel. We get amazed and, and in awe and wonder of our own earthly creations of power. Do you know how many horsepower is in the sun? I don't know. If you bottled it, I don't know. We have, we can't, it's hard for us to do the math. And God spoke that into existence. And yet we know that the power of the word of the gospel is more powerful than that of the sun that heats our earth. I want you to understand God's power has not diminished. This is, this is what this word power means. It's, it's dynamis or dynamis. It's power. It's mighty work. It's miraculous. This is the power of the gospel. It is powerful. It is mighty. It is miraculous, meaning there's, there's nothing that compares to this kind of power. If you see the, the root of this is our English word dynamite. It's explosive. This is the power of the gospel spiritually in our lives. And I need you to write this down. The gospel has, has not lost any power. It is just as miraculous today as the moment Paul spoke it, the moment Peter preached it, the moment Jesus died on the cross for us to have it. It is the same power. Are you living in it? 
Has it changed you? This dunamis, this dynamite power, this miraculous work of God for salvation, his righteousness imparted on our sinfulness. Him making us right as if we are as right as Jesus before him. That is the power of the gospel. It transforms us to broken sinners condemned to eternity, separated from God in hell, to new life, new existence, new creation in the presence of God now and forever. That is the transformation power of the gospel. It saves us and it keeps us in the presence of God. I need the gospel every day. I need the miraculous power of salvation every day. And this gospel is God's righteousness. That's what he says. The gospel reveals God's righteousness. That God is right. There's nothing wrong in God. He's just. He's perfect. He's holy. He's set apart. He's other than. There's no one like him. There never will be. His righteousness revealed in what Christ did for us and then is given to us by what? Faith. You can't have it if you don't believe it. If you think it's a good idea, but you don't have faith that it's real, you don't have faith that Christ died on the cross for you, if you don't have faith that God is who he says he is and he's done what he said he did, you will not have that salvation. It is imparted by faith. We're going to talk a lot about faith through the book of Romans as we lead up to Easter. It is a key theme for us. We're not saved by religion. We're not saved by being better. We're not saved by being a good person. We're not saved by our own righteousness because your own righteousness is garbage in the, front, in the presence of God's holiness. You are saved by God's holy grace alone, by faith in salvation in the person of Jesus Christ. And if you don't have that today, I'm telling you, you're separated from God. Now and forever you'll be separated from Him. He longs to give you the power of the gospel, but it's your choice by faith. He does not force it upon anyone. His love is a gift. We are not robots. We have a choice. If I ask the Christians in the room, are you ashamed of the gospel? Are you ashamed of the power? Are you ashamed of God's righteousness? I think the challenge for us as Christians is to stop being ashamed. Stop being fearful. Stop being afraid. Stop being wimps. Would you be bold in the gospel? Would you be willing to share the power of the righteousness of God imparted through the good work of Jesus Christ to those who are lost and dying in a broken world? Would you, God, revive us? Would you revive us, God? We're only in the first 17 verses of Romans. And I hope you're ready because... We're going to the deep end through this book. God, would you bring your dynamite power, your miraculous life-changing power? If my people will humble themselves 
repent, if they would bow before you, that's the beginning of healing. You made a promise to Jerusalem that you would heal their land when they did that, and I believe today you still heal us, and you can heal our land as well. When we bow our heads, we humble ourselves, and pray. Today, God, let this be a different day. Today, God, those of us in this room who already know you, who already accepted by faith the gospel, what you've done, would you embolden us in our spirit to represent heaven so much better, to build bridges of love and grace to those who have been pushed away by religion and sin? Would you help us to, like Paul, not be ashamed of the gospel, for we know it is the dynamite power of the righteousness of God being made right in us. Convict us of sin, God. If there's anybody in the room right now and you don't know Christ, I'm telling you, today's a great day. He's inviting you. Here's the gospel. God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son. That whoever should believe in him shall not perish but have eternal life. It's belief and faith, confessing with your mouth and believing in your heart. Jesus is the son of God. He died for you. When he died on that cross, he paid for your sin. That's the only way you can be made right. You can't die for your own sins and pay your own price. Jesus paid the price of your sin in front of our Heavenly Father and that you can then be made right, God's righteousness put into your life. Before God, you appear right because of Jesus Christ's sacrifice and his resurrection. If you want that today, I'm gonna say pray right now before him and you can say this, say, God, I'm gonna repent of my sins and I don't wanna be alone anymore. I want you to enter into my life, so I'm giving you my life. Would you enter in To my heart, Jesus, would you come in and remodel my life? Would you forgive me of my sins? Would you give me your Holy Spirit? I want to be yours now and forever. I want freedom. I want healing. I want peace. And I want those things not because I can get them, but I confess Jesus can give them to me. So forgive me. I want you to be my Lord and lead my life now and forever. And it's in Christ's name that I pray. Amen. Amen. And God, for the rest of us, send us out from here.